Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole from Wild for Change, and you're listening to AAA Radio. Today, we welcome back Lef Cox, founder of the International Elephant Project based in Sumatra. The International Elephant Project is a not-for-profit project for elephant conservation, rainforest protection, and local community partnerships in order to protect and save the entire ecosystem and biodiversity of habitats shared by elephants. The Sumatran elephant is critically endangered. The current population is estimated at 1,200 to 1,500. Threats to their survival is in part due to habitat loss, where Sumatra has experienced one of the highest rates of deforestation within the Asian elephant's habitat range as well as human-elephant conflict, because as plantations and fields move into elephant habitat, elephant food sources and migration routes are compromised. As elephants looking for food raid crops, retaliation killing can occur. In this podcast, we'll learn how the International Elephant Project works to protect and conserve the Sumatran elephant, and how we can help ensure a future for these elephants. Hello, Lef, and thank you for speaking to us today about the Sumatran elephant. Oh, hi, Nicole. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Let's start off by um, just letting listeners know when the International Elephant Project was created and why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I started off, um, you know, for many years, way back in 1998, started off with, um, I, I, with orangutan conservation. And orangutans were always meant to be an umbrella species where all of the species um, and the human indigenous population can come along under the umbrella of, of con- conserving habitats. But it came fairly obvious um, that there was, you know, some species slipping outside the umbrella and specifically in this case, the elephants. They were in small fragmented herds and there was need for specific immediate action to save the elephant, to bring him under the umbrella of our holistic um, conservation efforts. And so we started um, working to save the elephants um, and stop humans and people killing each other in ecosystems working with. And sometime after, we, we actually then formalized and started the International Elephant Project to um, allow people to connect you know, and contribute to the ever-expanding work that we're doing to um, bring back the Sumatran elephant and more recently Borneans and Laotian elephants um, back from ex- the brink of extinction. Wow. It's really scary to hear you say that because I don't ever want to see that happen in my lifetime. But thankfully, there are people like you doing this work to help reduce human elephant conflict and protect these endangered species. Mm-hmm. Can you paint a picture of the threats these elephants face on a daily basis, what life is like for them? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> elephants um, are a lowland species. So, uh, you know, let's say in Sumatra, the vast majority of protected habitat are in the hills or in the mountains because that is um, convenient to protect for water catchment and, you know, probably not the ideal place to plant your palm oil plantation. So all the elephants, you know, are, are in degraded log forests outside a protected habitat in a human-dominated landscape. Mm. So the idea of just protecting national parks or protecting primary forests doesn't work at all for elephants. Equally so for animals such as orangutans and tigers, but elephants far more acutely. And so they're really just trying to survive in these um, human-dominated landscapes in the, with ever-shrinking forests to protect them. And, and so, um, you know, that's and, – and they're in fragmented populations. Um, there is no viable population of Sumatran elephants left. That's – trains left the station, you know, for for – decades if not a century away mm. but what we could do is is conserve these vital ecosystems where herds of 120 150 smartphone elephants can survive and then work work over the medium term to manage those um, populations um, both by securing them and, and preventing the human elephant conflict 
but also transferring the males on a regular basis between the populations to keep them genetically healthy and therefore manage them as one mega population that could actually survive the extinction crisis. Wow. Okay. So as part of this picture of trying to help preserve their population, is there, um, because elephants love to migrate, or is there anything that can be done to help with connectivity of migration routes, or is that kind of out of the question based on plantation fields have taken over and all of these scenarios? Yeah, no, very good question. When I first started in conservation, you know, 30 years ago, that was actually possible. We can say, hey, what we need to do is conserve or restore um, corridors between these ecosystems that elephants can transfer. That is just not possible anymore. Mm. You know, um, over the last 20, 30 years, 80% of Sumatran rainforest has just been pulp papered by, you know, major big multinationals. And so we're really dealing with these um scraps of fragmented ecosystems we're trying to piece together before it's too late and they're far too isolated and separated and so the traditionally what happens is um, the males leave the um, matriarchal herd um, when they become mature and they go to and they go through the rainforest travel large distances to find an unrelated herd of females you know for them to to breed mm-hmm. and when these um, populations were connected, that what that system worked, you know, for millennia. However, now what happens is they move into this human-dominated landscape, um, and then they're either um, um, killed as agricultural pest or from fear, or they're poached by illegal poachers who are seeking the ivory from their tusks. And so, in a lot of ecosystems, when we start working there, there is no male elephants left. There's only the females left all the males have been killed. Um, And so one of the things we've been doing is is transferring these males, which become conflict elephants coming out of the rain, these patches of the rainforest where the females are living and actually literally putting them on trucks and driving these to the ecosystem so they're safe, but also they become the new um, breeding bull, which allows for the next herd to survive. Okay. Wow. That's a lot of work on your part as, and keeping up and tracking them and it, it is, transferring it is. the I mean, mail. Unfortunately, that is the only way we're going to save the species. Benign mm-hmm. conservation, like conserving a large area and just la- allowing them to be elephants in their own societies is just going to do into extinction because it's too small for them to, ecosystems are too small now to do that. And so, yeah, the, the, the burden and the cost is borne on us for, for decades, if not a century ahead, um, until, you know, we have a more enlightened planet that starts rewilding and connecting these ecosystems. So the big multinationals, you know, by and large, you know, they make a huge amount of profit by exploiting the environment and destroying, um, you know, and replacing with unsustainable monocultures such as palm oil and pulp paper. And the true cost is, is borne by the indigenous communities who lose their land, elephants who lose their chance of survival. And of course, conservation organizations like us, which are born with the cost of long-term costly management of these beautiful creatures to ensure that they don't slip into extinction. Right, right. It's a, it's a lot to, I mean, for for myself, it's overwhelming to hear that and and to know that this uh, there's high stakes for the indigenous people for these animals that um, have been here for millennia, you know, and now we're looking at just a, a handful of them, and the work that International Elephant Project is doing to protect this handful of these beautiful creatures. And that's where the next question comes in about the International Elephant Project created a monitoring and mitigation unit um, Mm -hmm. to work with the community. So how do they work with the community to help reduce Mm -hmm. human-elephant conflict? Mm -hmm. Well, the first thing is um, we, we radio collar an elephant in each herd. And so, and then every half hour the, from satellites, um, the, the location of the herd is, is there. So if they're like, you know, away from communities, fine, that's, they're there. But when they start um, coming close to the community, 
um, we can then move our uh, um, elephant conservation team in closely to making sure that the elephants and, and people are safe. Local community leads also get a, a mobile phone that they can call the team. Oh, okay. If they, if they see a stray elephant and they're a bit frightened, so they don't have to take non-lethal act, lethal action. They can just call the team and they will come in and, and deal with that. Um, and then we we actually train and provide um, the community with non-lethal ways of protecting their crops, such as scare cannons, um, non-lethal electric fencing, and and, um, and, um, and maybe planting certain trees which deter the elephants to a certain extent from, from coming close to their, their um, crops and villages. So working hand in hand with them to um, um, provide a way that they both elephants and people can live in harmony. Because remember, both the indigenous community and, and you know, the poor people um, and the elephants are suffering from the same problem. The big multinationals haven't recognised their land rights and forcing them into this ever-increasing area. So the, the, you know, you know, maybe 100 years ago, they probably, you know, occasionally see an elephant, you know, and, oh, there it goes. And, you know, maybe, you know, they talk about their grandfather once having an elephant come into it and destroy their crops, you know. You know now it's like because everything is so compacted, you know, um, and, and both species, humans and elephants, are trying to survive in two small areas. They're in, uh, under increasing conflict. And so we both have to work with the, with the communities for them to survive and prosper in this new environment, but also work with the elephants. Right. You're actually working for both sets of lives at the same time. Exactly. But both persons are, uh, are important uh, and their prosperity and survival is, is important to us, both human and elephant. Right, correct. Because this is their land as well. Mm -hmm. How many monitoring units are there? Um, you know, we, we fund several units um, all over Sumatra. Okay. Um, yeah, so... Wherever, um, of course, money is a, is a restricting element for us. Um, so every time we, you know we, we manage to you know raise some more money, we can start a, a new unit, a new ecosystem. Um, so yeah, so that's an ever expanding project um, to protect more and more herds. Um, but yeah, we have several units all over Sumatra now, and oh, we're also okay. working um, with. We're leading a consortium of, of you know of great scientists and technicians at the moment to actually um, bring the technology into using artificial intelligence to be able to identify the location and the actual individual elephants from their subsonic calls that they communicate over kilometers with each other so we're hoping in the future we will not own we won't have the radio column anymore because we can use their call sounds to locate them and who they are. Um, but we can probably do it at a, at a far more precise granular level and actually identify individuals. And this will then wow. reduce our cost and increase our effectiveness on, on preserving these, these beautiful animals in their habitat. Wow, amazing what technology can do. It's a blessing yeah, and no, a curse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're living in, you know, we're living in a, a time which I call the most important decade in human history is, you know, we can end up destroying the planet into, you know, um, feedback loops, which will end in catastrophe for every living being on the planet. Mm -hmm. All this wonderful opportunity to, to, to stop and recover the environment and, and, and use the, you know, some of the um, fascinating technology, which has become more and more available um, to allow us to do this. Yes, yes, right. Yeah, it's scary to think about that, you know, we could have the flip side of complete catastrophe. Um, yes, that is exactly. That's why I call it the most important decade in human history. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so unfortunately, no time for rest. In this no, decade. no, no, your work's cut out for you. That's for mm -hmm. sure. And I hope that um, through this, podcast and that we can continue to raise awareness and get more people to to help with this cause. Mm -hmm. Now, the elephants that are monitored in Sumatra, are they are they mostly in that, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to pronunciate this correctly, Bukitigapulu ecosystem? 
are they mostly located there or are they also like in um, Lucerne National Park? Um, we, we have um, um, programs in the Lucerne National Park and Way Canvas, um, Tessonilo, um, the Harapan Forest and, and Booker Tigapulu as just some examples that have, have, have come to mind. And so, yes, we, you know, um, we have, you know, on the ground activities that we're, we're funding and supporting on, in all those different ecosystems in order to preserve the ecosystem, but preserve those herds there. And of course, what we've been doing, for example, in Booker Tigapulu, um, you know, we have actually you know, transferred the you know, bull named Harris from Booker Tigapulu, put them on a truck and sent them to the Harapan forest where there, there was no females, there was only female elephants left. And then wow. we are then we are the funding and supporting um, the Harapans Forest Rangers in order to protect those herds um, into the future. Right. And so we, we do we're doing it uh, um, across. But Booker Tigapulu has been a place where we've been working with elephants for you know over twenty five years, and um, yeah, we we and we know them quite I- intimately. Wow, that's really cool. Um, I wanted to ask, and I, and I meant to ask this earlier, with the monitoring work that International Elephant Project is doing, have you seen the locals respond better when they see an elephant? Because now it's much more common because everything is condensed and they're all sort of just living together. Um, mm-hmm. With this monitoring unit and having people being able to call and and have all these things that are helpful, like planting the trees and the fences, you see that there is a little bit more um, that the locals are feeling, okay, I, I, I know how to handle the situation a little bit better now. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, definitely. Um, you know, cause you know, I mean, when we started, it felt like a bit like the Hatfields and McCoys in the Appalachian Mountains in the U.S., you know, because they're persons, <laughs> both are persons. And so, right. you, know, um, you know, a person will kill an elephant and the elephant will have, will have a revenge attack, you know, mm-hmm. and, and vice versa, you know. And, and so you have these two persons competing against each other with limited resources and, you know, and then, you know, they feel that some, they feel in a certain situation, their only recourse is to kill the other person. And then, of course, that there's, then there's retaliation, just like with all persons, you know, and then right. it, it just spirals down into into a mess. And, of course, ultimately humans will win uh, and the elephant will go extinct, but, you know, not without considerable costs. Um, and so, yeah, so now it, it it's really um, a, a way of... Um, you know, working with the indigenous communities for them to 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 live in harmony, and um, and and we've certainly seen significant, um, I guess, um, benefits. I guess for, for for both sides of of this, you know, um, in their prosperity. Beautiful, that's beautiful. That's it makes my heart happy to hear that. Um, at least there can be some kind of coexistence there. Um, with with the work that you've been doing, um, I was reading up about the elephants and the herds there, and I read a story about how two elephant herds had joined together, mm-hmm. and so they were going into these high human activity areas. How did the monitoring unit work with helping to reduce this human elephant conflict with these with mm-hmm. this double herd? Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, uh, elephants have, you know, this wonderful, you know, um, you know um, social system. And I guess it's best described as a fission fusion groups. And so, you know, they, they split up in smaller groups and join together. But because remember I mentioned we're, we're looking at um, developing a technology to track them through, you know, their subsonic calls. So from mm-hmm. an elephant's point of view, we don't hear it because it's below the frequencies human can live here. They're still talking to each other. So it's not like for them, they still understand, they know where that herd is and they have some connection with through, the, through their calling. Um, but so so the, from their point of view, they're still part of the one extended family. And so okay. in the Book of Ecosystem, as an example, with those two, they're all actually related. 
but obviously the two herds are more related to each other, but they're also related, um, connected to each other as, as well as all, all the females. And so um, coming together is, is a natural part of the fission fusion um, relationship. And unfortunately, you know, um, you know, um, you know, th their land has been taken away. So th they used to, um, maybe I best describe that elephants like humans predominantly adapt to the environment through culture, um, not natural selection predominantly. Mm. And so you have these matriarchs, which is the, uh, similar to how humans used to live. We have these matriarchal females that, you know, hold the culture and pass down from generation to generation of knowledge until we decided to burn more witches, of course, you know, <laughs> but that's a, another story. <laughs> but, um, so, but we still have those matriarchal, um, you know, leaders, I guess, in, in the elephants. And, and they, they follow these um, paths that's been gone for centuries, you know, making sure the herd goes from one place to another safely through the tried and true cultural understanding of the environment. But with the rapid destruction of the rainforest, that has all changed. And so they have to, you know, they, they, first of all, they, they often just try to go through the destroyed environment because they, they don't know what else to do because right. culture can't change very quickly. As we're seeing how it was, even human indigenous communities find themselves dysfunctional when the environment changes rapidly because it's very hard for that culture to adapt extremely quickly. And elephants have the same situation. They, yes, they end up going, taking a herd through these large disturbed habitat going, well, we've been moving this way for centuries, we should keep doing that. And then, of course, you know, it reaches a point where, you know, they're forced to change and try to readapt and, and um, to the new environment. And so they're going through, this, in a sense, this cultural upheaval and trying to understand, I guess, how this new environment can um, work for them. And, and so, yeah, so they, then they come, you know, so sometimes they come together in large herds, um, as, as they always done over the centuries. And then, of course, that just makes it, um, for us, um, a key time to, you know, to send as many um, of the um, elephant conservation team out there to ensure both elephants and humans are safe. Yeah. And I, I love the point that you, I never thought of it in this perspective about just having to adapt to this new culture, um, how fast they have to adapt. To everything because everything's so rapidly changing. Exactly, humans can't adapt that this, this fast either. You know, so it, it, it's, it's just as difficult for elephants, and and, and so it, it's it's a long term process. It's a long term, I guess, project if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, both with human population, because for example, the indigenous population, the hunters and gatherers, and the slash remote agricultural uh, farmers their way of life has been um, environmentally sound for over centuries. But because the vast majority of the land has been taken away, the hunters and gatherers will hunt out all the animals until they starve, and the slashman agriculture people will destroy the rainforest because they don't have time to regenerate. And so we're working right. with them to, to, read, to move them sympathetically to new agricultural systems and new economic systems which will be sustainable. And, of course, you can imagine from, you know, a cultural point of view, that is hard. That oh, is hard I can't imagine. You know, and, and you know, and it's difficult. And, 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 and I guess what I'm reflecting to you, is it's just as difficult for the elephants. And so we're seeing, you know, um, you know, both elephants and people under cultural stress, <laughs> you know, trying to adapt to this, this rapidly changed environment. And, of course, you know, our, our goal is obviously secure the destruction but wherever possible, regain rainforest to allow these ecosystems to be environmentally sustainable. And of course, in conjunction with that, allow these ecosystems uh, occupied by the indigenous community to be economically sustainable so that people can actually prosper and become affluent in, in a way which is environmentally friendly. Right. Have you been able to see any kind of improvement with creating more rainforest to maintain some of the biodiversity and that's there to help the indigenous people and the wildlife? Mm -hmm. um, at, at this stage, um, we, we have, um, we, we're basically trying to stop the destruction. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's the major thing. Um, and so what we've what we've been doing all over Indonesia is um, leasing large tracts of rainforest, you know, hundred thousand hectares here, hundred thousand here, fifty thousand hectares here, of lowland river rainforest, which is a key forest for elephants and the other biodiversity to survive. The highlands is not that important, and of course it's for, it has indigenous communities in it. And then it, it, it may involve habitat protection, obviously. Uh, some of that will be reforestation, regaining some of that land. And the other, and the other part that I mentioned, starting um, new economic systems with indigenous communities to allow the rainforest and people to survive and prosper. So it, it, it's, it's each ecosystem in uh, work in, in, in progress. Uh, major, for example, in the book of Tigapulu, the Thai company Michelin has basically destroyed the lowland which connects two of the um, areas that we lease. We lease some lowland areas in the south of the ecosystem and they were connected by corridor and Michelin um, subsidiary destroyed it all and, you know, and, um, and then drove out the elephants from their um, rubber plantation. Um, this, yeah, wow. this is a French. Yeah, French company that actually you know, was selling these green bonds. This is an environmentally friendly activity, destroying in taking indigenous communities' land and basically yeah, cutting off the elephants from moving in 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 their way. So you know we we're hoping you know that um, you know that they claim to be green, but they, but it just seems greenwashing. Um, right. We hope to actually move them to actually really give back that land. Of course, it's all trash. They destroyed it all. Oh, um, wow. But, but at least if we get it back, the elephants can move through unhindered. Um, and then we can start a reforestation project to, to reclaim it for conservation. So are you saying that even though you had this land leased, they were still able to go in there and... Oh, we, the lease, they, they're not out in the areas we lease, but... But um, okay. the, the, in this particular situation, the national park, is, as I may have mentioned before, is created in the hills because of water catchment and it's not really good for agriculture. So that's a national park which is protected. Okay. So what we did is we, we leased 38,000 hectares of land, the lowland area next south of the national park in two blocks that were available to us. Oh, okay. um, and, and Michelin got the area between them. Mm. In, in the lowland area connected and elephants can't go into the hills they can't go in national park so to get from one area they have to go through the uh, michelin concession and and you know and they you know supposedly you know had this green rubber they knocked down the whole forest and put this monoculture rubber and claimed that they were looking after the wildlife but they actually just destroyed everything and that's um, a yeah, shame so, yeah so it's just an example is, you know, this, and, you know, it's, it's, it's big multinationals, you know, which is not because often people get this impression from conservation that these poor people are out there ignorantly destroying the environment. That's not the case. It's large multinationals destroying the environment and right. passing on the true cost of their products onto the powerless the elephants, indigenous communities and future generations through their effect on climate change. And so, I, but again, you know, you know, we hope, that you know the pressure on these companies will, will increase from consumers that will force them to um you know become real green not fake green and yeah not greenwashing yeah ask you know ask them to re-establish this elephant corridor um, which is so vital for the elephants of Bukatikapulu. that's wonderful so is there um any kind of legislative work that can be done for for that to happen or how would that work to get them to restore that i think the, the, i think the only possibility at this stage is, is, is you know pressure from customers yeah and and, and oh, okay. of, of their product um you know it's and it's true all over the world you know Big multinational with money, they can write their own laws. They can true. Well, yeah, <laughs> and that, that and, happens and, and, around the world, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. So, so it's really, um, it's really if you know, as we as a community, you know, hold, you know, well through through our elected officials and through our own um, individual collective actions, um, hold them accountable, you know, and and uh, and you know and and um, yeah, and 
let them know that you know they they need to um, really step up and be the real thing. Right. Know? Because like you said, they they have so much money and they're able to cause so much damage because they are so big. Um, mm-hmm. And one fell swoop, you know, things can be gone and, and forever changed. And like you said, it's hard for indigenous people and the wildlife to adapt so quickly to changes like that. Mm-hmm. And then our, and then our earth takes a toll as well. And then we take a toll. Exactly. And so one of my key messages I, I always, when I'm talking is, I mean, you know, 200 years ago, you know, you, we could have exploited these poor people in, in these colonies and extracted all the wealth from their nations and kept them impoverished and destroyed the environment. Hey, there's no comeback on us. We just get rich. You know, we don't even have to have these people in our mind or vision. You know, they're just the externalities of us just doing business. But the chickens are coming back to roost. We can't leave any living being behind now. We, we're destroying our planet and unless we have... A, a way of living and restoring this planet where all living beings can live and prosper. We're, we're all going to go down. And yeah. so, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. So, um, so even from a selfish perspective, you know, if we, if we want a long, if Western countries want a long-term sustainable economy, you know, that produces wealth and affluence for their people, they also need to be concerned. Yeah and stop the exploitation of the powerless in developing nations and, and especially in the tropical belt of our planet, which, which disproportionately does so much to help mitigate climate change. Right, right. It's the lungs for our planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little side story as you were speaking about this. A friend of mine uh, told me a story about her son came home from school and he was in his science class and He said, mom, guess what? So many animals are going to go extinct soon. And he goes, and you know what the biggest thing is? And she said, what? And he said, that means we're going to go extinct after them. And he was so forlorn. He was so sad. You know, I was so upset Mm -hmm. to, to hear that news, you know, as a, as a young boy with so much life ahead of him to -hmm. hear that in his it is education. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's kind of you know it's you know we you know we are the most affluent generation that will ever live on this planet. Yeah, yeah, at least from what we can understand, because we eat it into the, the future capacity of our planet to, to to support the environment, and therefore the economy, and therefore the people. You know, and and so we we have a really huge responsibility in the next decade to we're not going to hand over a better planet to our our children grandchildren that train has also left the station yeah but what we could do is hand over a recoverable planet and the knowledge and the understanding of how to recover that planet um so they can that future generations can recover and, and and live in prosperity into the future yeah i like that I like that, that there could be a chance for us to recover. I, I, I think there is if we if we act intelligently and decisively in this next decade. And right now. Correct. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Because one of the things is, is often, you know, and, you know, right, you know, the future generations are key. We've got to educate the future generations. And yeah, that's all great. But it's going to be too late for, you know, if we just leave it to them. We have to do that, of course. Um, but we, as our generation, as the most affluent, you know, so we have the most resources in the, as well as the obligation um, to us to, to make decisive actions and, and, and then obviously be the role models for future generations on how we can recover these ecosystems and planet. Yes, yes. Thank you for sharing that, love. I appreciate that. Um, can you... Just let people know about the adoption program for the elephants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what what we find, you know, for for, for most people, um, what's you know really engaging for them and the connection is to engage to a particular elephant, mm-hmm. you know, and then you know go along on that journey of with the elephant, you know, with our six monthly adoption updates. 
Mm. So, of course, but those elephants, um, yes, are, I guess, representatives of the whole herd or the whole species, which we're, we're working to, to try to save. And so we, we have, you know, four elephants uh, at any time up for adoption where people can adopt them and get their six monthly updates and follow their stories. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's a really um, great way of people, you know, connecting, if that makes sense. I mean, right. a lot of people, you know, some people want to, you know, as we often, we've been discussing a lot, the big picture and the strategy of what we're trying to achieve. Um, but for many people, they also want that individual connection. And because that's one of the things I always emphasize with elephants is not only they're critically endangered species and beautiful and, you know, saving them is a part of saving the planet. They're also individual persons, self-aware persons such as, as, as we are. And as individuals, they're worth every care and support and than, than any other person. Right. And I, I think sometimes that translation gets lost in this world that we don't always see other species like us. It's hard for us to maybe comprehend that there is other beings out there that are very intelligent, they're sentient, they have families, they grieve, they can share, they can express themselves with each other. Um, and that that sentiment is lost, I think people don't can't connect. So I like that they can connect with these elephants on an individual basis. Yeah, and, and it's really part of the, the, I guess, the human evolution, which is necessary for our survival. I mean, we have a tribal mind, so we have 120 people we connect with and maybe a, a larger community out of that we have a, a loose connection with outside, then go to hell, you know, you're, you're, you're not one of us. So right. even humans, you know, humans don't connect well with other humans, you know, if you're a different race or country or nationality or some, some other arbitrary division, you know, and suddenly what happens to them suddenly doesn't matter. Um, but it always ends coming back to us. And, you know, the, the treatment of animals, you know, both in um, the wild animals and domestic animals in agriculture are primary drivers to destruction of the planet. You know, and, and so unless we can expand our love and compassion outside even the um, confines of, of our species, we will not survive. That's, that's the great moral challenge of our time, to expand our compassion and concern outside of the borders, you know, um, of our countries, nationalities and race, but even further than that, outside the borders of our own species, if we're going to successfully survive, because we're realizing more and more is that we're all interconnected. We're all on the same little lifeboat of a planet, isolated, you know, you know, billions of miles from anywhere else, and we have no way of getting anywhere. Sure, Elon Musk, you know, billionaire can, thinks he can escape to Mars, but you can't breathe the atmosphere, and pretty much everyone will die over their lifetime by cancer through the <laughs> extreme radiation in the area. Mm -hmm. So it, it's like a fool's paradise, you know. Right. That's not, and, you know, it, it may be a fantasy for billionaires, um, but it's no viable solution for, for humanity and our planet. I agree. I agree. that, And I think that idea, that notion of interconnection, um, is becoming to slowly be trickle in and be understood. Um, I know for from my own mission, that's what I like to share with people is that we are all interconnected and we 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 really do rely on each other. I think we just don't it's hard to realize that because we're all in our own little blocks. Um it, 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 yeah, exactly. And, and there's a wonderful um, parallel to that. As we expand our love and connectedness with a larger group of living beings, we actually become healthier and happier and more content and peaceful. Um, I agree. So there's a win-win solution at every level because I always um, wail against these things about wildlife versus environment or the, you know, um, you know sorry, wildlife versus people, environment versus the economy. These are all these false paradigms. It's, it's looking after the planet, other living creatures is always a win-win solution, you know, uh, and for not only our, us as a species, but us as individuals, the selfless love and work for others and expanding that 
to uh, the maximum of uh, capacity that's available um, is, 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 is a great benefit to us as individuals. Right, right, exactly. You know, just for myself, I've been um, wanting to see some kind of progress made where we're not even hunting endangered species. And, you know, the bottom line is, is that if we're hurting them, we're actually hurting the environment, which then hurts us. But then, as you're pointing out, like expansion of that, of that love, there is, you expand yourself when you can be open to another being, not just mm-hmm. to someone who's similar to you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It makes us, it makes us happier. You know, yeah. It's a wonderful. Thing, you know, um, and so yeah, it's 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 a beautiful it's a beautiful future, you know. Um, if, it if can we, be if we, if we if we if we can allow it to happen. Right. Yeah. That's the that's the key word. Allow mm-hmm. <laughs> for that. Um, speaking of bonds, I did read about two elephants that came together from two different herds. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was Mayma, and I, I cannot pronounce the, is he oh, a young bull? Wow. Yeah. Is, oh, that was my best attempt at it. You know, my, my, my Thai Laos is obviously, you know, not going to be good. <laughs> but I love how they came together. And I feel that, you know, their story of these two unrelated elephants forming, you know, a, a herd. Um, and Mayma is still very much, you know, very protective of her herd, that so yeah. much can be learned if, as humans. We can learn so much from how they came together and formed a family. Yeah, and, and, and people often, you know, they, they get surprised. Oh, this unrelated elephant adopted this young male and looking after him just like her own calf, you know, um, because from a strict biological survival sense, there's no merit in that. You should just kill the calf and, you know, and get it out of the way to breed your own, you know. Um, and we, we see the same, you know, um, surprise when we when people, you know, are watching orangutans and how they act. Because the reality is these are no longer animals in that kind of how definition. They're persons, you know. And, yeah. and just as a human female will adopt a totally unrelated offspring, you know, out of compassion and love, you know, altruism to and look after that offspring have their own, because biologically that doesn't make sense. But she's a person, you know, and she cares, and and she's far more than just her biological nature. She's transcended the biology, her biology to be something yeah. far more, you know, um, unique and beautiful. And elephants also have that capacity, you know. So this is why people get can get get surprised. But for me, it's no surprise because. That they're not only persons, but sometimes they can actually be wonderful persons that transcends being just simply an animal um, trying to have its genes survive. Right. I think that is um, altruistic. And um, I like that you're using the word persons to imply elephants and people and uh, just collectively um, because to me as well, I see that we're all we're all beings and we're we're all here sharing the same earth and going through the same struggles. Um, so thank you for using that. I really do appreciate that. Uh, what successes has the International Elephant Project seen since its start? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're certainly being able to, you know. Um, um, start securing live tracks of lowland rainforests. That's 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 a good start and on, ongoing success. We hope to continue over the next decade to secure ecosystems the right type, shape, and size to take these individual herds for the extinction crisis. And also, we've been very successful working with the local communities um, to prevent human-elephant conflict, and so both um, elephants and people are safe. And we've had a great success with, you know, we have a wonderful wildlife ambulance that we fund and great vets and, and, and brave technicians that can actually, when these males come out and start roaming and causing trouble, is to 
you know, get them onto a truck and drive them to the next ecosystem. <laughs> I cheekily call this our cross between Uber and Tinder for the male elephants, you know, and that's been very successful. I mean, in the past, people have tried to translocate male elephants and they basically walk over 100 kilometres to get back to where they started. Wow. But these elephants are actually, for the first time ever, are staying where they are because the reason being is we're not just willingly transferring to some odd bit of forest. We're transferring to the place they probably would choose to go if, if they were allowed to um, before their um, rainforest was destroyed. Wow. That's amazing work. And I also read that you're doing a project to plant indigenous trees in um, Gunung Loser National Park, mm -hmm. which is a very yeah, we, special place. Well, the, the Gunung Loser National Park doesn't hold terribly much interest for me. I mean, I know you have, you know, Barack Obama in a big thing about Gunung Loser National Park or something, but it's actually, from a biologist's point of view, not very interesting because really? all the yeah, because it, it's all in the big mountains and there's it, very little biodiversity up there relatively compared to the rest. And all the megafauna, okay. tigers, orangutans, and elephants can't live there. They all only can live in the lowland secondary, already logged forest outside the rainforest. Oh, okay. So it's always counted as a conservation thing. But from, from if we want to save the agricultural systems for humans, so the humans' population can survive, they want the elephants, tigers, and orangutans to survive. It is, it's of very little interest for us. So what we're doing is we're working with our partners to save the key um, remaining forests and develop um, these megafauna sanctuaries in the lowland forests, the northeast and the southwest um, for these, for the, and in this case, also for the remaining Sumatran rhinos to survive. Uh, yeah, and and, what okay. we, and a lot of that, is, as I said, it's a lot of secondary forests that you can probably just leave and, and grow back over the next 50 or so years, and that's fine. Some of it, unfortunately, it probably needs a little bit of a helping hand. And so we work with the local communities to, for reforestation projects um, to restore the forest, um, but also in conjunction with that, um, developing um, the sympathetic agricultural systems with the local communities so they can prosper, such as shade coffee and jungle rubber, vanilla, um, sea lang honey production, as, as just a, a few examples. Um, okay. So it would be a, a, a win-win situation for everybody. Yeah, that sounds wonderful and sustainable. It, yes, is, exactly. And, and, of course, what I would say, look, Short-term economics and the environment are at odds. Long-term yeah. economics and the environment are the one one business model. You know? Right. And so if we're concerned about future generations and survival of the planet, we, we're actually making the most sound economic decisions um, for the people um, as well as the planet. Yeah. yeah. Amazing work that you're doing there. And um, I have the utmost respect for you and for International Elephant Project and for the Orangutan Project and um, for all of the wisdom that you shared with me today and with listeners. I really well, appreciate that, love. Well, 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 thank you. And But, you know, my, my, my most important asset of what I hold as an individual is ability to collectivize. And so our strength is not by myself having great knowledge or great ability, but I have collectivized with so many wonderful people, you know, um, um, yeah. you know, who, 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 you know, on the ground run these projects, helping develop the plans and strategies, you know, and so it's, it's a whole team effort. Um, um, yeah. And so, you know, and I had the privilege often, you know, in podcasts like that, representing that wonderful dedicated team um, and, and communicating the wonderful successes, um, you know, and challenges. Um, that they're facing of the next decade. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes, it's true. The community at hand is is also a very big part of this. So mm -hmm. thank you um, for mentioning that. Where can listeners go so they can um, help support the Sumatran elephant and learn more um, about this can, work? They can go to elephant.org.au um and yeah connect us by social media sign up for a newsletter as we, as you, we talked about adopt one of these four elephants um and, and become a donor 
and and uh, and for the first time was doing my uh, doing the first echo tour to Laos actually in July really? um, to see these um, elephants which have been reintroduced to the wild and people often say you can't reintroduce them back in the wild and the elephant conservation center in Laos is doing it and ha as we speak and it's successful and we're going to go out and see those elephants um, with um, with our uh, um, project field project manager Alex Mokenbecker which is one of the leading experts in elephants in the world and so if anybody wants up in July wants to have a fantastic ecoturia into Laos and Thailand to, to see this work um, yeah you, you're quite happy to um, to join us oh wow that would be so amazing to see because I know one of the elephants was aboard a plane that was caught I think was it being transferred to a zoo and it ended up getting to Laos's um, Elephant it, Conservation it, Center, correct? Exactly. They were literally being loaded up on planes to go off to be sold as circus oh. animals, to live their life in torture and misery and, and abuse and domination and saved and, you know, and then went to the Elephant Conservation Center in Laos and then, miracle of miracles, to be part of the first um, Asian elephant reintroduction program so they can live in wild and dignity in, in their own society. So, wow, well, that, that's, 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 you know, that's one set of lucky elephants, you know, that, that you know, that, um, that won the jackpot, I guess, um, yeah. to, to escape such a life. Oh, my gosh, I just got the chills thinking about their life, what, what could have been, but what it is now. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. One day yeah, I would so love to come. Yeah, I mean, that's one, of the, you know, and then it's one of the things is with conservation. That, I mean, there's so much, you know, wrong with the world and so much to fight against. But within it, we just highlighted one example of, you know, of the stories, you know, which, which you know, um, which, you know, which are heartfelt, you know, where we can actually make not only meaningful changes for future generations, we can make immense meaningful changes for individuals. You know, as part of you know the holistic strategy for survival of the species, right? For all persons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, Left, for your time. This has been amazing. You're most welcome, Nicole. It's, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much, and thank you to all your listeners. Mm -hmm.